0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: With Europe Car and Go Car, you can move exactly where you want, when you want. Get on the move for the big family reunion at last. Move to pick up some bits and bobs in a car or bring something bigger home with a van. Move from Dublin to Donegal, to Doolin to Dingle, and back again. Move for a day, a weekend, a week, or more. It's all the joys of driving a car, none of the hassle of owning one. Visit Europecar.ie. Europe Car and Go Car, moving your way.
0: Hi, I'm Jen Kirkman, host
1: of the Anxiety
2: Bites podcast. Take a weekly deep dive into anxiety as I share stories from my decades of anxiety disorders and recovery, as well as candid and down-to-earth interviews with esteemed experts in the field of anxiety who are here to help us all have our anxiety bite less. Subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
3: We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
2: Hi, it's Hind. So we've just arrived in Kabul. We're gonna be here for a couple of weeks. What we're trying to do is hopefully piece together uh, the series of events that took place on the 12th of May there was an attack on a maternity ward 25 people were killed and that included mothers and pregnant women even for a place like afghanistan which experiences violence nearly on a daily basis what happened was so horrific and heartbreaking that for a very brief moment it captured the world's attention again but still no one has taken responsibility and no one knows who did it and it's now faded from the news so far there has been absolutely no justice for the victims so we are now here to try and understand what happened who was behind it and why there is no justice Attention now to Afghanistan. An attack on the most innocent, where special forces are battling gunmen after they attacked a hospital
4: in Kabul. To hit a maternity clinic, shocking, even for a country that's no
1: stranger to war. This is Vice News Reports, and I'm your host, Ariel Dimross. I'm Hint Hassan, Vice News correspondent.
3: And I'm Adam Desiderio, a senior producer for Vice News.
2: So what day is it again? Did we, did we agree on a date? Uh, Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. We started traveling on Tuesday. or I did. came from Beirut and I've not had much sleep.
3: So I have a beautiful view of downtown Kabul right now. I'm in room 286. I don't know what day it is because I haven't slept in three days.
1: So you guys got to Afghanistan in August, right, at this pretty significant time in the country's history. The U.S. and the Taliban had just signed this peace deal.
3: Right. So in February, the U.S. and the Taliban signed the peace deal. I've been covering Afghanistan for a long time now, and this was a major moment in the country's history. Because this is when we were really starting to see what peace could potentially look like in the country.
1: The U.S. signing a historic deal with the Taliban that could allow for the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Right,
2: exactly. So there was supposed to be some hope that there could potentially be less fighting and less violence and that this could possibly be a new chapter in Afghanistan, one that could bring some calm to the country.
3: Peace was hanging in the balance. Nobody knew where it was going to end up and what the next phase of the peace deal would look like. If all goes well, the U.S. will pull out its troops. The
5: Taliban and Afghan leaders might find a compromise but many Afghans remain cautious about the future.
3: But then in May, you have this attack on a maternity ward that killed 25 people, including pregnant women.
1: Gunmen storming a hospital compound in the capital, Kabul. And that's what you were there to investigate?
2: Yes, but also what it meant for peace in Afghanistan. So we went to the hospital where this attack on the maternity ward took place. It's in West Kabul, in an area called Dashtabarchi.
1: So tell me about Dashtabarchi. What's the area around the hospital like?
2: So this hospital is in the heart of the Hazara community. And they are an ethnic minority in Afghanistan who've been marginalized, disenfranchised, and attacked and persecuted by groups including the Taliban and ISIS. Driving around, you could see the poverty, and you could see how overcrowded it was. Normally, when you walk up to a hospital, it's like, here are the signs of the hospital. It's very clear. This is not like that. There are so many stalls, market stalls, people selling fruits and vegetables on the streets. It's very, very noisy. And then there is this small entrance that you would have no idea is there unless you knew where you were going. So when we get to the hospital, one of the people we talk to is a midwife, and her name is Fahima.
4: So Fahima worked in
2: this hospital for two years. She's in her 20s. She was very quietly spoken, but even before I had any of the translation, we could tell she had a lot of conviction in what she was saying. What does it mean to be a midwife here? Why is it
4: so important to you? I mean, one thing
2: that came across was just how passionate she was about her job.
4: Fahima says that this
2: is why her job is so important. Historically, Afghanistan has had some of the worst infant mortality rates. And on top of that, the rate of women dying from childbirth is also really
4: high.
2: Throughout Afghanistan, you still have a situation where many women still don't have access to the level of facilities and medical care that they desperately, desperately need.
4: This maternity ward, which was run by
2: Doctors Without Borders, was a godsend to so many women. Women would travel from outside the area to come here. Last year, it delivered 16,000 babies. It's an incredibly important place. And for Fahima... She said that the presence of Doctors Without Borders at this particular hospital, in this maternity ward, was like a dream.
4: She was there on
2: the day of the attack. Fahima, where were you? Um, What were you doing at the time?
4: She was in one of the observation rooms, filling out
2: some paperwork, when she suddenly had women screaming.
4: She sees everybody
2: running, and then she also hears. The alarm go off and she's never heard the alarm go off before and so she realizes that there potentially could be an attack and look this is a hospital in Kabul in the capital of Afghanistan and places like this and other public places are unfortunately very prepared to be attacked so there are safe rooms dotted about and these are fortified by big strong metal doors and also walls that cannot be penetrated by most attacks or, you know, gunfire. The people who are in the hospitals, the doctors and nurses, have been told that if the alarm goes off for an attack, you run into this room, you close the door, you lock it and you don't open it for anybody and you stay in there until you're told that it's safe. And so she runs to the safe room with a few other people, gets inside, and locks the door as as quickly as possible
4: she's
2: hearing people screaming and they're shouting and she recognizes these voices and she knows that some of them are her colleagues and Even though they were told that they shouldn't open it, it was very, very difficult for them to just stand by, sit by, and let these people potentially die. So they went against what they were told to do and opened the door to the safe room. So there were around 30 of her colleagues and patients who were outside this door, and they were screaming to be let in. Yeah, and then, they actually let them in. Fahima said she was so glad that she opened the door, so relieved because when she closed it again, she could actually hear the gunfire.
4: There's a lot of people in that
2: room not only doctors and nurses, but they're new mothers. They are women who have just given
4: birth. Everybody
2: is afraid. There are people who are praying. There are people who are crying. But then she notices that one of the women looks like she's in pain. And she approaches this woman uh, and realises that she's actually going into
4: labour. At this point,
2: the patient is having contractions and she's in a lot of pain and she wants to scream. But everybody is terrified. Everybody is in this room and they don't want any noise to come out. And so everyone's trying
4: to calm her down, trying to tell her to be quiet.
2: So Fahima's trying to help deliver this baby in this safe room, but she doesn't have any sterilization. She had to keep washing her hands over and over again.
1: So Fahima manages to deliver this baby in the safe room. Yeah, it's wild.
2: When this baby came out, it wasn't crying. So now they're panicking because they don't know if the baby is alive or not, or they don't know if the baby is going to survive.
4: So Fahima
2: did what she would do as a midwife, and she started smacking the baby a few times in order to try and get the baby to breathe. And then, finally, the baby takes a breath and he starts crying. (laughs) Of course, after that, they had to deal with the next problem, which is now the baby's crying and they need to stop the baby from crying because, of course, they don't want the attacker to hear them outside. (laughs) So they hand the baby over to the mother. The mother feeds the baby and then it finally stops crying.
1: So at this point, the attack's been going on for hours.
2: Five hours, they were stuck in this room. Luckily, they they have water, but the oxygen is running out and... It's becoming more and more difficult to breathe. There are lots of people crammed into this room. It's very hot. People are sweating. And then Fahima spoke about how she could hear the sound of some of the mothers having trouble breathing. And then Fahima
4: herself also starts to feel incredibly weak. not had a lot of oxygen. had We had a lot of
2: They received a message saying special forces are coming now. Let them in.
1: At that point, does that mean that it's over?
2: Yeah, they're engaging with the attacker and then they kill him. And then after they kill him, they go to safe room, one safe room after the other and let people out, including Fahima.
1: Okay, so what do we know about the victims?
2: According to Doctors Without Borders, 25 people were murdered in this terrorist attack, including 16 mothers, and some of them were actually about to give birth when it happened.
4: The assailants disguised themselves as policemen before opening fire.
3: A man wearing military uniform who looked like a wrestler entered the clinic and opened fire on patients' relatives at the gate.
1: Other attackers reportedly threw grenades, provoking panic inside. And Hind, you mentioned that this... Maternity ward is sort of hard to get to within the hospital, right? So the attackers must have known where they were going. The whole point of this plan must have been to attack the maternity ward specifically.
2: Yes. And we had this over and over again because remember, the attacker before getting to the maternity ward had other opportunities to target patients that were at the hospital. There were other buildings there before you get to the maternity ward. So he clearly knew where exactly he was going, and what it was they wanted to do. And that was to target women, to target
1: the mothers. So Adam, do we know who's behind this?
3: Yeah, so you had the Afghan government saying it was the Taliban, and you had the US State Department saying that it was ISIS. But neither ISIS or the Taliban claimed responsibility for the attack.
2: So for me, when I heard about this from abroad, I felt that the fact that we didn't know Who carried out this attack speaks volumes about this so-called peace deal in Afghanistan. And as journalists, we really wanted to get our heads around this and try and find out who did this unthinkable act.
1: That's after the break.
0: There's so
2: much going on in Latin America. In Colombia, demonstrations against proposed tax reforms have turned into countrywide protests.
4: It
1: can be confusing. Health authorities across Latin America are battling a rise in coronavirus infections.
3: That's where El Hilo, a Spanish-language podcast from Radio Ambulante Studios and Vice News, comes in. Cuando un edificio se cae, no perdona. Cuando tú vives en una dictadura, ¿qué opciones tienes si eres oposición? O la cárcel o el exilio.
5: Listen to El Hilo every Friday.
1: Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The reviews are in,
0: and audiences agree. iHeartRadio's number one podcast, Aftershock, is the show you need to binge.
3: Michaela! She's not going to make it to the mainland by herself. Five stars. I love it. It's hard to find a podcast that is truly immersive, and this one takes the cake. Ask me if I care who died on that island.
0: The art of a roller coaster. So many ups and downs, twists and turns. Five stars. Someone's running towards us. Get to the boat now has me at the edge of my seat everyone that hears me listening to it stops to listen and then subscribes themselves you owe me after what you did you owe me the truth heart stopping and the cast i can't wait for more
3: this place is gonna collapse
0: straps us in and makes us think we're coasting along and we're really racing to an abrupt end you're gonna come with me and we are gonna take you apart piece by piece aftershock starring sarah wayne Callies, david harbour and jeffrey dean morgan come to the island and binge the series everyone is talking about follow it on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts all quotes taken from actual user reviews
2: hey dad how do airplanes fly
0: what's in this box
2: is this tree good for climbing how are babies made what
0: does this thing do Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council.
1: So we talked about the impact that this attack had on mothers, on families. But what about the hospital where the attack took place? How are things going there?
2: So after the attack, the maternity ward was closed down. All the midwives were sent home and it didn't reopen until around two months later. And it was at that point when they reopened, Doctors Without Borders was gone. They withdrew because they said that it was just far too dangerous for them to remain there.
3: That's right. The attack got a lot of international attention. And this was at a time a couple of months after the peace negotiation between the U.S. and the Taliban. And it made that peace agreement look a bit ridiculous. So politically, the consequences were a lot of finger pointing. You have to remember that the peace deal in February was only between the U.S. and the Taliban. And so... Come August, which is when we arrived in Afghanistan to cover the story, the Afghan government and the Taliban are preparing to basically sit together at a table for the first time and negotiate what the future of their country will look like without the U.S. And that future Afghan government will most likely include the Taliban. So this horrific attack really didn't look good for anybody. The president, Ashraf Ghani, goes on TV and says the Taliban did this. Urban, Despite our repeated call and from the international community, the Taliban have not reduced violence and instead they have increased their attacks. And you have the Taliban saying they would never do anything like this. They would never attack civilians. But ultimately, it just complicated any negotiations moving forward.
1: All right. So how complicated are we talking here? Because when you went to Afghanistan, you actually got some pretty high-level access to to folks in the government, right?
3: So we went to speak with Dr. Hamdullah Mohib who is the national security advisor for President Ghani.
2: We're about to meet Dr. Hamdullah Mohib, who is the national security adviser for Afghanistan. And he's about to go and meet President Ashraf Ghani, who is in the palace just across from here, to brief him on the security situation in Afghanistan.
3: This guy is a really charismatic 37-year-old former ambassador to the United States.
2: Dr. Mohib has given us full access to his schedule, and it's packed.
3: When we were there, Dr Mohib was also meeting with members of the government's team who was preparing to negotiate with the Taliban. I mean, this was a really crucial moment in the country's history, and he was helping the president figure out how to respond to a request from the Taliban regarding one of the preconditions for peace.
2: Oh, here he goes, he's coming. Dr Mohib, hi, we're gonna follow you now. I'm going to try and slow you down a little bit. I'm told you're a very fast walker because you have so many things to do.
3: And we constantly actually had to tell him to stop walking so fast because he is just going nonstop from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting.
2: meeting. What's what's next in your schedule?
3: I'm going to meet with the president. It's busy in part because the Afghan government is preparing to negotiate with the Taliban on one of the sticking points, the release of several high-level Taliban prisoners.
2: So when you are in the room, what are what is the main points that you're going through
5: It's usually larger issues that we are dealing with so today uh, we have uh, uh, you know, finalizing of the cabinet. The, uh, it's also about um, the start of the uh, inter-afghan negotiations. there has been new updates on that front, so oh, really? we're going to discuss what uh, what our steps are. The Taliban had sent a proposal on some of the prisoners' releases. Um, uh, I need his instructions on how he wants us to to proceed with that. I hope you're ready for lunch. We are
2: very ready for lunch. How was that meeting?
3: So we walked through this this big palace with him right after he had met with President Ghani. And Hind asked him, you know, could you imagine the Taliban being in this palace, sharing a seat next to you, sharing power with you and, and, and with the president?
5: The Taliban is one group, they have one particular ideology. They can fit in the Republic, uh, whereas the the wider Afghan society cannot fit in the Taliban regime. Uh, So um, I I think the only way for us to have a stable Afghanistan would be an Afghanistan where everybody can see themselves in uh, in the system. Do you Uh, trust
2: them? Do you trust the Taliban right now as it stands?
5: You know, you make peace with your enemies. Uh, I don't trust the Taliban. But I think that is going to be one part of the negotiations where we build trust.
3: I was amazed when he said that I can envision, you know, sitting next to a Taliban representative in in one of these security meetings, um, just because of how long this war has gone on for, how many Afghan civilians have died, how many Afghan um, security forces have, have died in this war. And, you know, the Afghan government was, was, was in a tough spot. It was caught between the Taliban and this peace deal that was brokered by a U.S. government that might switch hands come January of 2021.
2: You know, with Biden, are you in contact with his team? Are you having these conversations in advance just in case and preparing for all potential eventualities?
5: We're careful about making comments about um, uh, uh, an ally uh, outside about what their domestic policies would be. But sometimes, uh, President Trump would make a decision that, um, uh, that, may be out, may, that may not take into account all of the recommendations. So it also adds to more uncertainty on our part.
2: So it's a crucial moment now. It's a crucial period for Afghanistan in terms of security and the next step forward in the peace. For deal. peace, it is, yes. Right.
5: I think um, if, if all goes well, what we think peace is, is the ending of bloodshed here in Afghanistan.
2: What does it say about the situation right now when someone can walk into a place, like on the 12th of May, where victims, where poor people who walked into a hospital, women, to give birth to children were unprotected. And a terrorist managed to walk in and slaughter some of the most innocents of society. And there's, 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 we don't hear much about it afterwards.
5: What's the alternative? The point is, I hear this. I hear this all the time, that these people walk in and, and kill Afghan civilians. The answer there is, okay, if that is happening, we fight the people who are doing this in whatever way we can. Right. We, we, don't, we make sure that this doesn't happen in the future, not that um, because this happens, we should, uh, we, we should stop, and everybody should walk away and surrender. Surrender is not an option. This is a fight we started together, we ended together, and if the U.S. chooses to walk away from it, and 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 say that they can no longer do this that the 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 US public will never would not support it any further we ask that they do it responsibly
1: look so like 20 years ago after the US started this war in Afghanistan one of the reasons that the Bush administration gave to American citizens to convince them that the US needed to stay there was that the rights of Afghan women needed to be defended, that these women needed saving in some ways. In
0: Afghanistan, America not only fights for our security, but we fight for our values we hold dear. We strongly reject the Taliban way. We strongly reject their brutality toward women and children.
1: And it became clear over time that that was more of an excuse, that uh, it was a way to get Americans on board for the war. And now here we are, 20 years later, still trying to dictate what their country should look like. So Hind, when you talked to women in Afghanistan, what did they think of the possibility of ending this war? And what are their hopes for the future of this country? When
2: we spoke to the women, the midwives the survivors in Afghanistan, or those that had been caught up in this really horrific terrorist act, and we asked them about the peace deal, it didn't appear to be something that was at the forefront of their mind. Why would you be thinking about a potential peace deal when you're seeing the reality on the ground is that there is no peace? So in Afghanistan, women are not at the moment thinking, oh, right, uh, you know, this negotiation, the outcome of it is going to be that we have to go back to these times. There is a fear that that will happen because people do not trust the Taliban. But also, we went traveling with Dr. Mohi. He went to the east of the country, bordering Pakistan, and he gave a speech in a town hall, and there were lots of people there. And after his speech, this one woman got up, and she said how she wanted more women involved in the peace process. But as well as that, she also stressed that women needed more basic things, like parks for women, more jobs for women. And so it pointed to the fact that as well as the politics of the peace deal, there's also a lot of immediate needs for women in Afghanistan.
3: In terms of the peace deal, there are some women at the negotiating table, but it's like four out of 21 members on the Afghan government side. One of these women literally just survived an assassination attempt in August. And on the Taliban side, there's no women at all.
2: When we spoke to the government in Afghanistan, they were saying over and over again, these negotiations, the intra-Afghan talks, when the government and the Taliban are gonna get together, it's all about integrating the Taliban into a democratic system. So we would still have elections and their position would be based on people voting for them. And people are never gonna vote for them to be, you know, completely in power. But then we would speak to the Taliban or members of the Taliban and the Taliban would say to us, we believe in a state that is run under Islamic laws and our interpretation of Islamic Sharia law. And so that was actually a a really big issue. Which one was it? Was it going to be under a democracy or does the Taliban think that the deal that it's got is that it's going to be able to rule this country?
1: And meanwhile, the U.S. appears to be going ahead with its plan to withdraw troops.
0: This week, the Trump administration announced it would withdraw 2,000 troops from Afghanistan by mid-January. Critics say the decision risks putting peace and progress in the country in danger.
3: Soon, all eyes will be on President-elect Joe Biden to see what he'll do differently.
1: Hind- Were you able to find out who was behind this attack and why this happened in the middle of this peace process?
2: Yes and no. So before we arrived in Afghanistan, we were hearing different things about who was responsible. You know, you had the government who was saying that the Taliban was behind the attack. You had the United States and Doctors Without Borders saying that it was ISIS. We are more clear in that there is a general acceptance from the different factions that it was ISIS that was behind the attack, but still the government is saying that the Taliban is not without blame.
1: So we focused a lot on these high-level peace talks and what could be gained or lost from them. And we really don't know what's gonna happen, but attacks like the one at the maternity ward have had consequences.
2: Yeah, after the attack, the maternity ward reopened in July, Fahima goes back to work. And I asked Fahima about the impact of Doctors Without Borders leaving her hospital. According to Fahima, the consequences have been huge. And it's something that she thinks about every day. She talks about um, the number of midwives, which has gone down from 75 to around 20.
4: She talks about
2: all the foreign and domestic experts who provided the midwives with the extra training. They're all gone now. And as a result of that, it's meant that they've had to cut down on the number of patients they can
4: treat. She
2: again spoke about how a lot of these women who are no longer able to access these facilities are part of a persecuted minority in Afghanistan, the Hazaras. And she says that these women are not able to go necessarily to another hospital in a different location. So, what is happening to those women now?
4: And Fahima
2: said to us, "I don't know where our patients can go." We spoke to so many different people about what happened, what they experienced, where they were during the attack. And I also spoke to this one midwife whose name was Fawzia. She's actually the lead midwife in the hospital, and in her career, she has lived under past regimes past militants, so she's experienced a lot. And it's never stopped her from going to work, and she would continue to go to work no matter who was in power. Women in Afghanistan, And actually, people across Afghanistan, they want peace. They want the violence to end. And they know that it's a huge, massive risk to integrate the Taliban into the political system. And not everybody agrees with it. But a lot of people are willing to take the risk and hope that it could potentially lead somewhere because at the moment there is no other solution.
0: A home is something you devote yourself to both emotionally and financially so when it comes to letting buying selling developing or investing
2: our property experts are always on hand to make every step of the journey as easy and
0: hassle free as possible discover more at Savills.ie Savills when you move we move I asked what kind of family she wanted she said A family like yours. Learn more about adopting
3: a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. In this season of Unobscured, we will follow Grigory Rasputin's transformation from a peasant at the crossroads of history to a monster at the center of far too many legends. And in the process, learn how he took the weight of a fallen empire with him to the grave.
4: The elite aristocratic society in Russia at the time was fascinated with very spiritualist leaders, with gurus. And there was this desire to seek alternate ways of connecting with reality that traditional religion and the church were unable to explain to people who were seeking answers to sort of these life's questions that seemed to have this pressing urgency right around 1900.
3: Join us as we make our way into the burning palaces of imperial Russia, to dig up the truth about Grigori Rasputin. Unobscured Season 4 is available now. Listen and subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Special thanks to Hind Hassan, Adam Desiderio, Anna Sebastian, Andrew Karpinski, and Ben Foley for reporting and producing this story. And to Quinn Hellerman for helping us wrangle all of the tape. Keep an eye out for the team's upcoming documentary, which goes in-depth on the investigation. Vice News Reports is produced by Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, Jen Kinney, Janice Yamoka, and Julia Nutter. Our senior producers are Ashley Cleek and Adiza Egan. Our associate producers are Sam Egan, Sophie Casis, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producer and VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Janet Lee is senior production manager for Vice Audio. And production coordination is by Steph Brown. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Legal review by Yoni Berkovitz. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. Security by Rami Galli and Sharbel Namur. From iHeart executive producer Mangesh Hatikador and senior producer Nikki Itor, I'm Ariel Zemros. I know podcast hosts say this all the time, but seriously, please take the time to rate and review the podcast. It really helps people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week. We've all had time to think, to figure stuff out, what we like and don't like about our jobs, our careers. Maybe you don't want to go back to the office, or that four-hour commute, or maybe you never want to work from home again. At Irish Jobs, we believe everyone should be free to choose the job that fits their lives. Whether you want to step up, step down, or even try something completely new. Choose the life that you want. Visit irishjobs.ie.
3: There's so much going on in Latin America.
2: In Colombia, demonstrations against proposed tax reforms have turned into countrywide
1: protests. It can be confusing. Health authorities across Latin America are battling a rise in coronavirus infections.
3: That's where El Hilo, a Spanish-language podcast from Radio Ambulante Studios and Vice News, comes in. Cuando un edificio se cae, no perdona. Cuando tú vives en una dictadura, ¿qué opciones tienes si eres oposición? O la cárcel o el exilio. Listen to El Hilo every Friday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.